0: I'm Bianca Vivian, and this is Ask Viv. Welcome to episode 25. There were times when I thought I would never do another episode again. I can't pretend that it was because I was busy or without a desire, but I suppose at one point I just began to believe that I had more questions than answers, and I think that You kind of think if you have more questions than answers, you can't be an authority or a guide on anything. Because when I'm asking myself, what's going on? And as of late, what the hell is going on? And you're asking me, what's going on? It can be very, very difficult to self-exalt to a place where I answer you and do it honestly and truthfully. And it takes a hit at your sense of self-confidence if you perceive yourself to be somebody that should know and you don't know. But honestly, what I've realized in this time of isolation is it's really just an indication of how much I've grown up in the two years since I've started this show. Because when I began Ask Viv, I was about to finish my second to last semester of college and perceived myself as a sort of authority over questions concerning life and culture and society and the zeitgeist. But I think that as I've aged, and I feel like this has been two decades and two years, the more I've come to understand that I'm not an authority and I don't have a sense of authority as much as one of autonomy because my sense of authority before was predicated on an ability to will my outside world to look like a vision in my interior mind. So the beginning of Ask Viv was just about what I thought about art and what I thought about movies and what I thought about love and what I thought about the material world because the depth of my power as a young girl was an ability to enact my will on the world and bend it to my whims and make it look like what I thought in my mind. But as that ability dissipated, and it didn't dissipate because I was losing power, something in my life changed where I was losing control. And that's called aging because the perception of control is above all a young man's game. As you age, there's just going to be more factors that are added in. When you're young, you have the perception of control of your own body you're able and control your own body, then you can also control how much you work. And if you have no kids, then you're only responsible over yourself. So as long as you can feed yourself and house yourself, you have this immense sense of control over your own world. And as you age, there's going to be so many variables that are thrown in really from inside out to the point where You have less ability, the typical person in your body, and you have kids. And so there are these other beings and entities or a spouse that you don't have direct control over. And then sometimes... The economy's up and the markets are down, and these variables will impact your cash flow. And so, you're not the way you are when you're young, and the whole world is in front of you, and you can just bend it to your whim because you have that time and ability. But I'm finding that that's all vanity anyway. And I'm finding it now more than ever because look at the state of the world now. Two years ago, if this had happened, this pestilence, this virus, I would not have been able to cope because I was in control of my world, in my mind. And if I couldn't get something to go exactly my way, either through intellect, or beauty or scheming outright, then I was in a state of devastation. I hated when I couldn't get my way. But these last two years have broken me down and grown me up so that my sense of interiority, my sense of self autonomy, allows me to withstand any varying external factors. I really realize I can survive in any atmosphere because I had undergone such an acute sense of devastation with heartbreak and deals falling through and just the average life tragedies that happen as I've come of age that when you're telling me that the sky is falling, then now I just ask, who's sky? It's funny to me that when Ask Viv was a hobby, when it was something that it seemed so elective. And I would even have friends that would kind of be like, oh, it's good, but it's not for me. I'm not your audience. And it's because it had turned into something that was about building up your interior arsenal so that you were not at the mercy of the world. It was about me being tired of going through changes. Because when your money's up and your money's down, and your lover's here, and then they're gone, and the apartment that you have is perfect, and then it's flooded, or there's an infestation, or whatever, when something interferes or intervenes in your plan, you have to have an internal compass, a grounding, a morale, a set of values, a sense of discipline, a sense of nutrition, mental stability, spirituality, And those things to so many people were elective because that sense of interiority was seen as a very arduous thing to build a difficult task to undergo compared to if this was a self-help thing where I say this is how you write a resume and this is how you manifest you know we're always into manifestation how to make your life look like the utopia in your mind or how to make others do what you want and the more and more it just became about how to deal with yourself and thereby be able to deal with the world to go within so that you didn't have to feel like you were going without in a lot of ways to a lot of people the sillier it became and i'm standing here now with a sort of sense of innocent comedy because now the world that everyone placed their faith in is in crisis. And many of you are alone in your world, in your homes, but you're not completely alone because you are now faced with the sense of duplicity that I had been trying to get you to mitigate or completely destroy, and that is your internal self versus your external self. The person that you are out in the world who controls everything versus the person you are internally that is at the whim and will of their emotions, their dark thoughts, their depression, their traumatic episodes and memories, their own sense of anger, their want of pleasure and food and their insatiability, their hedonism. Now those will be the things that as the outside world burns, you're still stuck with those things inside. That problem is going to be compounded exponentially because you're living with a roommate or family members or a partner who also have this interior duplicity and secret thoughts and fears and it all comes out Because the situation, even if they said it's all going to end on July 29th, it would still leave you in an indefinite state of suspension because you have to literally live day by day. And this is a very stark contrast to the lives that many of us build before this, because before this, we were living plan by plan, month by month. We were saying, I'm gonna have this vacation and it's gonna come on June 10th, and so as long as I can make it until June 10th, I'm fine. Or I have to see this person between the hours of 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. and I can deal with that, but if I have to see this person from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., I'm going to go crazy. And we were constantly making small compromises and putting off what felt like a non-urgent time for self-reflection that now the real catastrophe besides what is happening out in the world because that is live and living color happening is that you're having to ask a question that I have been imploring people, especially young people, to ask from literally episode one, do I like my life? Do I like who I am? And I think that the frustration that many people are feeling now is that when you have a sense of doom or calamity and you are faced with the reality of death, one that you have so long ignored because you were so strong, and so able and had so much fortitude or money or influence or praise from other people, you had so much external validation that when you have to look yourself in the mirror metaphorically at all times of the day and constantly check in with yourself, whereas you did it almost nearly never, maybe every birthday, which is why so many of you dread your birthdays is, You're having to come to the realization that you are losing a life that A, you did not like. I'm faced with the end of a life that I don't even like. B, have never lived. I am now being isolated from a life that I elected to not live to the fullest at any given moment because I thought there was time. Or C, did not appreciate. Looking around at all of the things that you took for granted, being able to go out and enjoy the springtime, having a little bit of extra money in your pocket, your co workers, your family, your church, your mosque, being able to embrace and never taking the chance to have embraced, to hug and kiss and intimate, uh, being able to interact with the world around you as far as strangers, being able to go into A grocery store and always find exactly what you were looking for it's time it just can't it cannot wait anymore this is not and I told you so because as I said I was ready having come to that place in myself that place of cohesiveness where my interior world was not warring with my exterior world, coming to that place of self-understanding, I was ready to walk away from Ask Viv because I had made peace with the fact that I had more questions than answers. I had made peace with the fact that there's some things that I might never know. And there is a limitation to my ability to control both my life and the world around me. But the irony is, and this is where I've come back to you, is that when you have that sense of cohesiveness, you are actually in a greater position than you've ever been before to enact your will. Because what we find is that there is always going to be a war on the outside. And if it is not between modern medicine and the reality of death, if it's not between economies and trade wars, if it's not between the biosphere and industry, if it's not between terrorism and states, the reality of this world and this life is one of conflict. It's one of violence. It always has been. And to fool ourselves into thinking that there was ever a possibility for complete peace, for permanent happiness, for everlasting joy, was to create a lie in ourselves. A lot of This is an American issue, I find, because Americans as a culture, Americana culture, attempts to make happiness a permanent state and will do so pretty much at any given cost. So much so that they don't really concern themselves with survival. They don't really concern themselves with understanding or coping with death and they don't really acknowledge the suffering of others. And now to be in a trifecta storm of calamity with the economy and ever-pervasive death imminent, the invisible enemy at the door, I'm sure you're in need of some relief. Now that we have made peace With the reality of the external war and the reality of its indefinence until God takes his hand off and says enough is enough, then we might be able, in order for us to stand at this time, we've got to reconcile some relationships. But the first one that we have to reconcile before we can do our roommates and our partners and our parents and our siblings and those people that we have now convinced ourselves we're stuck with. We have got to start with the relationship with ourselves, and it's no longer some sort of eat, pray, love journey. It's no longer a 10 steps to a better and healthier life, Oprah.com. It's now the substratum of our survival, of our ability, to live well in this time. It is now a measure of a man, is his ability to thrive despite the war going on outside. And we've got to reconcile a war that's been going on for so many of us, all of us, every single one of us inside. And we have got to establish certain things within ourselves in order to win that. Identity is not going to do it and for so long we thought if I can figure out what I am then it'll make me okay with who I am. But the truth is that it's not helping now when you're by yourself. Being black is not helping now. Being a woman is not helping now because now it's just me, myself, and I. And I'm not going out into the world, and I can't put the armor of the world on in my own house. Now it's about initiative versus guilt. And when initiative wins out, then I can enact purpose. Now it's about calling and industry versus inferiority. And when calling wins out, I can enact competency. Now it's about identity versus identity diffusion, and my ability to relate to my fellow man. And when identity diffusion wins out, I can build community. Now it's about generosity versus stagnation and selfishness. And when generosity wins out, I can enact care. Now it's about integrity versus despair. And when integrity wins out, I can produce wisdom. It's about something that stays within me so that I can act my will despite the changes, the vicissitudeness of change that's going on outside of me. Now it's creating a different measure to judge myself by because my job is gone and my money is gone and my friends are dying because I, I am not associated, there's not a club I can go to, there's not a place I can go to make me feel what I need to feel. I don't have access to the things that made me feel beautiful or the things that made me feel whole. I am having to deal with me. And that's going to be the hardest thing about this time. And that's why I'm back here because I know that you're seeking relief. Now I'm gonna get into these questions because I know that's your favorite part. Dear Viv, I've found myself losing track of the hours of the day and sort of floating through days and weeks aimlessly. I've made this my new normal when I know in reality I still have control over various aspects of my personal life. How do I remain present and feeling in the middle of a pandemic when it seems far easier to not be present and or resort to escapism? As far as how to be present. I think about the reasons why in times like this people seek escapism is because beyond just the boredom and anguish and solitude of having to remain inside, you are inundated with a media complex that is constantly trying to stoke fear and panic because it's really good for their bottom line and so they have a thousand maps of the increase of death around the world and the failing healthcare systems and the inadequacies of government and so rather than just having to feel like I have to take care of myself I have to be here for my family you think pandemic And it's worsened because the few times that you do go outside, everybody's face is covered with mask, and there seems to be this feeling of hostility that's palpable in the air. And so for me, not only have I vowed to only consume as much news as is necessary for functioning in my own life, when are things going to open, what is the general timeline of this looking like, not just constant death, destruction, calamity, because it makes you not want to be present and makes you want to seek escape. With that being said, I'll say two things. There's nothing wrong with a bit of escapism. I find it so funny that people have internalized the machinations of capitalism so much that even when you're in your own home and the world has come to a complete stop indefinitely, and there's this sort of perpetual lull of nobody knowing what we're going to do, every single deadline being pushed back for everything, people being laid off and still people are like, how can I be productive? It's okay to indulge in a bit of escapism. It's okay to get up and not want to exercise in your living room every day. It's okay to smoke a joint. It's okay to get a little bit tipsy on a Saturday night. It's not wrong. And this is one of those times that people should embrace the things that they've learned about luxuriating and being lazy. The only issue with escapism is that you know, or I hope you know, and I'm telling you all that this is going to end one day one day sooner than you think this is all going to end and you're going to have to deal with whatever the consequences of the escapist routes that you took are when this is all over. So if you are indulging every day in junk food, you're going to have to deal with that when it's over. If you have gotten highest pie in the sky out of your mind, if you have not actually made any plans for how you're going to deal with bills and save or defer loans then you're going to have to deal with that so everything in measure but i think that part of what heightens this sense of anxiousness and calamity is that even in this time we're not doing enough and i feel like Part of the reason why you see the United States just peak, peak, peak growing in death, and New York City, which is the epicenter of this, is because people don't know how to sit still. I mean, people act like it's because in New York we're packed like sardines, but the truth is the streets are still filled with people, the grocery stores are still filled with people. People hate staying home. Our homes are much smaller than, say, the homes in Ann Arbor, Michigan, or the middle of Wisconsin and so people are always outside and they don't know anything about stillness they don't know escapism because this place puts you in such a hyper felt sense of present you always feel like you are at the forefront of time the forefront of reality in the middle in the mix that's why people move to New York City and people elect to live that way and this is a time to step back and step out of reality for a bit for the sake of your own mind. And so how do you do that? When I think about feeling present, I think about something that a friend shared with me many, many years ago when we were living in Bangladesh together, because we were about to go back to our respective countries. And I said, I don't know how I'm going to do it. It's like a 27-hour jet lag. (laughs) And he told me, if you're trying to be jet lag, the first thing you have to do is go stand in the sunshine and put your feet on soil, wherever you are. And it immediately gives this sense of grounding. And I think that there's something about connecting with nature, something about the consistency of nature. What's so funny, I was, as the evening was drawing to a close last week, I was sitting in front of the window in my living room and I noticed that these beautiful jasmine plants had blossomed. Huge trees in the park right across from my building. The same park that always has snow-covered trees. It had all of a sudden gone from barren and brown to this brilliant, brilliant ivory white. And it was so beautiful. And I thought about the fact that it had done that in the midst of calamity. And all of a sudden, when I take these little walks by myself (laughs) every day, and I'm going through my neighborhood, I see that the tulips have blossomed and the cherry blossoms have bloomed and the jasmine trees and the animals are all out. And there's this sort of misty wetness to the air that comes with springtime. And I realized that despite all of the doom and pestilence and anger and frustration and anxiety of the collective world, the natural world is moving on. The natural world is always moving on. And it makes me feel so present to know that. It's so easy to ignore when you live in an anthropocentric city, urban life, that nature is guarding itself, that nature is living and dying and going through a cycle. And it makes me remember what time it is. I remember it's April. And I remember how much I was looking forward to April and December. And I remember, okay, it's April 4th, Ramadan is coming up on April 23rd and Eid is coming up and it's going to be a sacred time for me and billions of Muslims around the world whether or not this thing is still happening because life does go on and there is life after death and there is coping and dealing and remaining present of understanding. Whether or not you choose to participate fully in your life at this time or any other time, life is happening. And if some days you feel like you need to step out of it to feel okay, that's fine. Because if I sat here and told you I have fully participated in every single one of my days, I'd be lying to you. There were days before any of this in the words of Reverend Cleveland, where some days I'd wake up and wish I'd stayed asleep because I went to bed on top of the world and today the world's on top of me. And on those days, I just stayed in bed and I would pull the covers over my head and I would have a pity party or I would get high (laughs) or I'd stare out the window and wish that things were better, or I'd cry, or I'd pray, or I'd eat, or I'd watch 27 episodes of something until the morning faded into the afternoon, into the day, and I saw people walking on the sidewalk along the avenue right outside my door, and I was not a part of them. And it was exactly what I needed on those days. But then I would get up the next day, and I would encourage myself and that's how you remain present. This is my life, I'm going to live it, I'm going to live it well. That's what I tell myself no matter what kind of war is going on in the world. And as far as how you remain feeling, you always remain feeling at any given moment by loving other people. And again, something that was met with so much sort of frivolity and carelessness before this but now when people are made aware of the imminence of death and they go from saying, oh, people that are only 80 and over to 30 year olds on ventilators to 13 year old boy without any previous symptoms or existing conditions dies in the middle of the UK, you begin to understand and become aware of the people around you and the absence and the abyss that would exist if those people were no longer there and you love somebody. And for me, I call my family every day. I speak to my sister. I speak to my sisters now more than I ever have in the last five years. I call them. The nice thing about connecting with people at a time like this is that It's not really about, well, what's going on at the school and what's going on with the boyfriend. It's just, what are you doing today? And there's a lightness about taking things day by day. With the people that you love and if it's not them then i'm making sure when i leave the grocery store that i'm giving whatever cash back i got to the homeless person out on the street because if i'm missing a few extra dollars or shit a lot of extra dollars this month then i can only imagine the person that couldn't hold their own anyway how they're doing how much less charitable the rest of the world is feeling towards them and immediately i'm made feeling I'm grounded in my feelings by other people because even if I can resort to a sense of apathy and deficiency and callousness towards myself in my own situation, the minute that I am made aware of the situation of somebody else, then that immediately has to dissipate. The vacuum of self, When you're constantly like woe is me, woe is me, woe is me, it can just suck up everything and you become the center of your world because your problems become so big. And often it is by relating to other people and talking to other people and seeing the things that other people are going through. Not on this large scale pandemic because that's too much and ridiculous to internalize, but it's just about a one-to-one basis, staying present with the people around me. That's how I, I stay feeling. That's how I've always stayed feeling. And it's how the anxiety dissipates because I say if I'm there for somebody else, then I can almost guarantee bet that somebody's gonna be there for me. Dear Viv, focus has been a huge issue for me during this time. I don't necessarily like to bring my work home because my apartment is my sanctuary but now i have no choice but to merge all of my worlds into this small space home gym office i find myself seeking an escape through music and mary jane which helps the time go by faster any tips on how to function under these isolating circumstances if this is a blessing in disguise for any reason this time it's because a lot of people are going to have to function on sheer willpower which is something that most people absolutely never learn to do the thing about building a sense of discipline and a sense of focus of saying I'm going to do it no matter what is that you cannot be incentivized on an emotional level to do things that must be done as far as work I think the thing for me is that, with my work, I always approach my work with a level of seriousness that I find gets it done. I find that, even in projects like Ask Viv, the reason why at one point I could produce an episode every other week nonstop for an entire year, and then all of a sudden I can only produce an episode every six months is because when you begin to feel or analyze things from an emotional standpoint of view, you're almost never going to do them. Because when you live at the mercy of your feelings and the vicissitudeness changes of your emotional disposition, it's so easy to at one point say, I'm feeling too sad to do this, I'm feeling too angry, too bored, too cramped, too whatever. When it comes to things like work, especially those of you who are in high school, college right now, I really feel for you because I know this has just mounted a sense of stress and anxiety and and I really, really do feel for you. When you have to sit down and work, it can't be a matter of, oh, I don't feel comfortable. Oh, the lighting is bad. Oh, what if people are judging the background of my screen on this video camera meeting? It, it, It can't be about any of that. We are living in a very bare bones society, bare bones moment where you really have to do the best you can with what you have. And I find that the issue that I have, especially. Especially with work culture in America the last time I worked in an office was three or four years ago it was a financial tech company and I swear one day I literally just got up and walked out and never came back one after one Friday afternoon I said I'm done left my little MacBook that they gave me in the drawer walked out and was like I'm good off of the workforce for the rest of my life and it was because It was such a strange dynamic that they wanted us to work so hard. I mean, we were doing heavy financial analysis on top of Google Analytics and coding R and building algorithms and trying to create this big secondary loan trade platform thing. And yet, there was this huge snack room, there was a ping pong table, there was Wii video games, there was all these crazy colored conference rooms. And it was almost like they were trying to incentivize us with a high level of comfort in order to be more efficient and more effective. And this was completely different than the very stale, patriarchal, black, white, and gray environment of high level finance when I was working on a trading floor where it was literally just computers, phones, and desk and file cabinets. That's I liked it better because I think that when you approach work with a seriousness and straightforwardness that is about just bottom line production, there's something about it that you just get shit done. And I'm really just one of those people. And I think that a lot of people are going to have to adapt that mindset right now because if you're one of those more scatterbrained people who's just like i don't want to work i don't want to do the paper this is hard you're going to have an extra hard time right now because nothing about the situation is comfortable but you can look at it as a blessing in disguise to learn to build discipline and willpower despite the environments around you for me i spent the last year learning this when i decided to undergo a serious change in my body, really, really get serious about diet and exercise because I knew that this year I was entering TV and it was so hard because at first, especially with bodies, you approach everything with emotions. You're just like, I don't like my body and it makes you cry or it's hard to eat healthy and it makes you cry. And you realize that you have to keep doing things with such a consistency and forcefulness until you don't have an emotional reaction to a simple issue. And it took all of college to learn this because when I first got to Columbia, I used to sit down at assignments and I wouldn't just read the assignments and do the assignments. I would come with, you're not good enough to be here. You're inadequate towards this. And I realized that I had to take my feelings out of my production because the more Feelings that I had towards it, the less likely that I was going to use my full mental capacity and I could not exact my will. Why? Because you're constantly divided. So if you're trying to focus, really lock down on whatever the task is and approach it as it is so you can get it done. And the thing about it is for me, this time has been so hard because I love to exercise now. And going to the gym is one of those very luxurious things that I do and I take my time with and I use all of the most complicated and fancy machines and I'll take the classes and I'll do everything. And I love looking at all the beautiful black men that go to my gym and it's very hard for me to just have to do sit-ups and crunches and walk up and down the same flight of stairs at the park behind my house but this is not vacation and i've lived a tough enough life of times where I've had to up and move with a week's notice or times where I've been living in cramped closet spaces. And I know that in times like that, which they don't last forever, you really just have to buckle down and do what you have to do. As far as making the time go by faster, I can tell you when you're living in a situation such as this, which is so indefinite, it doesn't really help to just look at the day and think, how can I make the day disappear? Because you'll look up and a year will have been gone behind you. You want to approach the day with an intentionality of, let me do what I have to do so I can do what I want to do. For a lot of us, this is a good time to get a personality, really. I mean, I people, my friends always joke that I live my life like some sort of like French feudal era princess, because I'll start my day with exercises and then I'll go into language studies and then I'll do painting and home repairs and maybe a bit of cooking and baking in the evening. And it's just very handmaiden type lifestyle. But I function well in times like this because I'm never bored. And for the last few months, I've had a book club with a group of incarcerated men who were at a federal correctional facility in Pennsylvania. And they were very worried about me when this whole thing started, because they were like, B, what are you gonna do? You're stuck inside, you're by yourself. And I was like, guys, like, this is really hard. And they actually gave me a list of things to do that I'll impart to you all. Online poker and spades, a lot of push-ups, crunches, pull-ups, They recommended that you all watch that new show for life about the guy who becomes a lawyer and bails himself out of prison, Tiger King on Netflix, basically binge watch a bunch of shows, get a real estate license, uh, learn about cryptocurrency. They had an entire list <laughs> of things that you do when you're literally in prison and bored. Read the entirety of your own spiritual text. I mean, some of them have gone through the Bible once or twice. Learn to write poetry, write letters to your children in your in the future write letters to your past self, call your family. I mean, these guys are the masters of inside living and they told me to, they told me as I freaked out over a few emails, it's going to be okay. And so if they can strengthen my morale, then I know that you all can do this. Dear Viv, in the midst of crisis, my classes have been changed to online courses and I've been forced to move back home with my family members. Ironically, my workload has somewhat increased and I'd like to use my time in isolation to work on projects for myself. But the reality is a lot of people are still relying on me to get things done for them. I know I'm capable of handling it, but how do I ask for help? First of all, I so admire My college students, my high school students listening to this, you all are really the blueprint and my superheroes because I loved going to class. Physical classes were the entire crux, the incentive for being educated. And I really, really feel for a lot of you who I know, especially seniors, like this has changed everything. People who are looking forward to prom and graduation and everything else and you all are handling it so gracefully because i know i would have rioted but with that being said asking for help is something that it took my whole life to do because i prided myself on not needing anybody and being raised as a highly self-preserving person in a household that was kind of every man for himself from a very young age i had difficulty asking for help um, until i got to a point in my adult life that everybody comes to where i realized that i needed other people so badly and that it was nothing to be ashamed of. When it comes to learning to ask for help, dispelling a sense of shame is always number one. Don't think to yourself, I need money because I am such and such and such and such type of person. When you can't extricate need from personality or your personal story or why you need something, the more that it can weigh on your self-esteem and your confidence and the more that you can just internalize a lot of stress and avoid asking for help. Things like that are things that held me back for a long, it's the reason I'm not good at math, period. It's the reason why, I mean, you see me do tip calculation at a restaurant and people would not think that I was this genius that they keep telling me I am. And that's not because I couldn't have been really good at math. It's because I didn't have the patience and I felt it was something really wrong with needing help. And I took that into basically my adult life. And the second thing after shame is you have to assess your exact need. Asking for help is always about exact need assessment. So at a time like this, If you're thinking, I need money, that is a need, but help can articulate itself in a multitude of ways. If you have enough short-term savings to hold yourself over, then perhaps what you actually need is a job. And so you're going to ask around and you're going to tell people, I need help finding a job. If you're actually flat broke and shit hit the fan at the very worst possible time, then what you need is money. And you need to be able to find out exactly how much money you need because if you're like okay like my expenses exceed my savings then I'm going to need exactly an extra seven hundred dollars and then now I'm going to have to source it if you're late on your rent but you know eventually you will have the rent then you need an extension on the rent these are things that I really have become an expert about because there's been so many times that I've come up short in ways I never thought I would. And after initially saying it has nothing to do with my ability, it's just the way that things are. Like, it's not my fault. It's not anybody's fault. It's that we live in a society that oftentimes does not empower its citizens, in which parents do not empower their children, etc., etc. And it's very difficult to enact will without power. And when you don't have power, you need help. And that is the reality, high level thinking, the way that things are. If you're living in your household and you're thinking I need to do my homework and you need a quiet space to do that in a house full of seven people and nine siblings, you need to tell them, I just need a quiet space to do my homework between these and these hours, this is what I need. So once you figure out exactly what you need, then the last step is just having the courage to articulate it. And courage is something that again, I find works best when you have this level of gravity to it that is not emotional. Courage is a virtue, not an emotion, the same way that patience is. And I find that things like patience and courage, things that are about exacting will and executing plans, these sorts of things always require an anti-emotional approach. Because usually the thing that holds you back from expressing courage, expressing patience, is your feelings. And so it's really a circular diagram. Dissipate shame by taking your feelings out of it. Finding your exact need, which means really pinpointing what it would look like to be helped. And then asking for help by expressing a bit of bravery or courage. It always goes back to expressing things with a very clear-cut mindset, even if you need to write it down. Even if you need to write it down. There are times when I just have to write down everything I'm going to need for a month, and then that's when I get to cold calling for sources. And the nice thing about doing this, on a personal level, is that I had to learn how to ask for help on a personal level, help with asking for extensions for papers, help with saying I wasn't going to be able to make it into work because I had a family matter, help of asking for money to make rent, help in all of these different ways, applying for jobs. Alhamdulillah, thank God I learned that on a personal level, because now that I producing my own television show now that I take on these huge consulting projects now that I'm building out my world as I see it on a really macro scale that affects other people employs other people involves other people I have to learn to ask for help and to trust the ability of others because I am no longer a one-to-one entity the way that I was when I was just that superhuman adolescent who didn't know how to ask for help. Now I have to get things done by any means necessary and I can't always get them done by my own intellect. I can't always get them done by my own know-how. And so it does take this very perfect stricken balance of confidence and humility because like you say, I, I feel confident handling it. And you need to have that confidence. I need to be able to say, I can handle whatever's coming in front of me. But I also need to be able to say, I trust the people in my life to hold it down in the places I'm going to fall short. I I know that the friends that I have around me, the family that I have around me will pick me up in the places that I've fallen short. And I've had to learn to trust people because the thing also about asking for help on a more meta emotional, psychological level, is that you have to trust people because when you're vulnerable and you need things, then you have to make yourself known. And that's something that I was never comfortable doing because I didn't want people to know that I wasn't this portrait of strength all the time. I was not okay with dispelling that myth in people's minds about me. I could not do it, I didn't want to do it. And it was very, very difficult for me beyond just my family, my closest friends to begin asking for help from work colleagues and business professionals, because I had always just prided myself on being the youngest to do that. And the youngest to do that, that making my needs known or my vulnerabilities known on this professional level was very, very, very hard for me. But it's been to my benefit Because you find not only do people typically want to see you succeed more than they want to see you fail, but also there's just something about mutual trust towards people that are working to a larger goal. And right now, what you're seeing as a breakdown of society on a governmental and institutional level is because there's so much inherent distrust between parties because capitalism is built on competition. And you see... The issue with that literally real time of people that cannot assess their own need and people that cannot exact their will, people that cannot actually ask for fear of retribution for help are staving off death because we live in a society that has encouraged competition over collaboration. And so use this time again, this time for community building, even if it's just within your own household, your own networks, to learn to ask for help and to lean on one another because that's how we are going to get through this. Dear Viv, how can I learn to build confidence and learn discipline at 25? I've been getting along, but I'm tired of just getting by. I'm at the end of my rope and fear for life floating by under the radar of mediocrity. How can I train myself to be better? This is something that I really had to learn this first and foremost before I went into this rapid transfiguration of my life for the last two years. I am doing the best that I can with what I have. That is such a different thing to say to yourself than I am flying under the radar, fearing that I'm going to be emptied and eviscerated by my own sense of mediocrity. 25 is so young. I am now, just now, understanding how young i am and the reason why it's been such a beautiful thing for me is because when i began working in my field at 14 i felt so young then that when i got into nine years this year will be the decade of me working in media and journalism as a professional I felt now like I've like I'm so old. Like it's too late. And I think that when you have this very visual culture of success and Forbes 30 under 30 and 31 under 31, you get this notion of instant success and early success and rapid success. But what you're about to see as this world comes unraveling by its own vanity and the curtain is pulled back, you find that a lot of that is unstable success. 25 is very, very young. I remember when it was 25, when people would just start talking about who they wanted to be. And now 25 year olds are kind of on this, hang it up, there's nothing left for me, I'm not anybody. You're at the beginning of your life. And if you've learned to plant two feet on the ground and keep walking, take it day by day and continually self-assess. To even know that you're feeling like you're doing mediocrely means that you have self-assessed in a way that many 30 year olds, let me tell you, I've been dating them and hanging out with them and being related to them, have not even begun to do, you have to pat yourself on the back. You have got to change your mind before you change anything else. I've told you all that for years. Entering things from a mindset of I'm not doing well, I am ashamed of my own life, is not one that produces freedom, no matter how true it is. I found letters that I wrote to myself when I was 21 that said I don't like my life. I woke up and I don't like my life. And I think about all of the beautiful things I miss about being 21, how much of an avid dancer I was, how I would be taking four or five dance classes a week and I was just so physically fit i was at the top of my mental sharpness i had all a's i was surrounded by friends that loved me i had a beautiful little apartment right across from morningside park i was dating all these brilliant cute men (laughs) like i was just at the height of my romantic life it was so exciting i was being able i drank at the time you know i don't drink anymore but there was so much to be celebrated and so much to be admired about that girl and i missed out on it because i was so caught up in what things should be we are one of those i'm not where i was but i'm not where i ought to be type of societies and i feel like how do you know that you're not where you ought to be i needed that girl to go through her bullshit and her mediocrity at 21 to do the things I was gonna have to do at 22 and 23 and onward. So this is a good time to assess your life and if you don't like it, yes, it's a time to create a vision for your life. But that vision should be inspiring because this is where when you tell that story, that story's going to start. And it can start from a place of I was so down and I was so troubled and I was so broken Or it can start from a place of, I was so aware that I needed to change. And those are so subtly but distinctively two different self-narratives between I was in a position of calamity and mediocrity and I was aware of that I needed a change. Those are not at all the same self-narrative even though they begin in the same place. Create a vision for your life and then take it day by day. Your mediocrity is that you hate your job, Think about what you would love to do, your best skills, your dream job, and then take it day by day. If you want to be in television and you have to start as a production assistant, even though right now you're a top-tier lawyer, then do that. Because the whole world is about to start over. The world is not ending, y'all. It's mending. And it's time to move away from a place of calamity and doom and self-degradation, and it's time to move away from comparing yourself to all those people who are now in the same exact boat, in the same exact social security line, with the same exact issues, or even if they're not up in houses with spouses that they don't like, big ass houses, with spouses that they don't like, having to homeschool children that they have ignored. It's time to go within and not feel like you've been going without. And when you create that vision to literally take it one day at a time. I had a vision for my body, I said one day at a time, and I couldn't believe as the months went on, picture by picture, day by day, how much I had changed before my very eyes. And it's so nice when it's something physical. You write a book, word by word, page by page. We survive the same way that we thrive. We have to live the same way that we love. We have to grieve and mourn the same way that we celebrate joy. And that is inch by inch, day by day, mile by mile, one step at a time. And when you're done comparing yourself and building yourself and the vision for your life against this grandiose, Epic of what everybody else is doing and what it should look like and what 25 should be. Just stop and look in the mirror and say 25. I am so glad to be here and be living. I have so many friends that I would give the bulk of my success to see what it would have been like for them to be 25. Friends that I said goodbye to at 21, at 20. I have friends now good friends, incarcerated, 10 years, eight years. I mean, these boys are 26, 27. I've celebrated birthdays with people who are in prison, turning 33, and you know what's so crazy? They're still saying, when I get out, this is what's in front of me. This is what life is going to look like because youth is about choices. Like I say it every episode, youth is about choices. You have so many. You have so many, and if you don't like the choices you've made, then make some new ones. People are about to start moving from cities to the rural countryside. If you wanna move to the city, move to the city. People are about to go from music executives to grocery baggers. If you wanna be a music executive, be a music executive. You're learning now. You saw this entire world that was so self-important and self-sufficient and innovative and luxurious and beautiful and it fell apart and it didn't even take two weeks. It didn't even take two weeks for the entirety of the tech industry that everybody thought was so brilliant to offer absolutely no assistance at all for a healthcare system that was always on its hinges to be completely broken beyond repair, a political system to go into complete disarray and internal warfare. It took the modern world, 10 minutes essentially to implode. Build your own, (laughs) build your own new world and be inspired by it. Be inspired by a new world order and the beauty and community and love and brilliance and changes that it can produce on an individual and global scale. The betterment of people's lives for the sake of more than just buying shit and going on vacation. We are now at the brink of something special because it's no greater time to decide to be something new than when the world is betting on the same thing. I want that for you and I want it for me. That's all the time that we have for today. This is me doing something absolutely crazy and I'm committing for as long as this pandemic is going on i will have an episode for you every single week i'm going to have an episode for you posted by monday evening of every single week until this is over and i'm going to show you all what a bit of commitment and discipline and determination can produce and it's not just because i literally have over a 100 questions in my inbox and it has produced such a sense of shame in me it's because i love you so much and i'm wishing you well I'm wishing you well. Hold yourselves up, hold your lovers close, hold your families down. Take it easy, and if you can't, take it easy as you can. I'm Bianca Vivion, and if you ever need anything at all, you can always ask Viv.
1: Sometimes you lie, sometimes you'll cry. Life never tells us the winds on wild. When you've got friends To wish you well You'll find a point when